0: Welcome to Today in Space. We're recording this here, March 26th. I'm your space science podcast host from the East Coast, Alex Girafanos. And this week, we're doing a lightning round of news stories here. So, this week, we've got a quick update on the Relativity space mission that just happened. I'd share my final thoughts. Since last week, we were just covering that it was going to launch. Hakuto-R is now in orbit around the moon. The Space Force gets $60 million to use for tactical space. And elementary schoolers in Canada figure out something we never knew about EpiPens in space. Hello and welcome to our last episode of March 2023. We're here with Today in Space. Thank you for joining us. There's a lot to talk about. We've got this episode, we're going to cover a lot of the stuff that happened this month and kind of just share some articles. You guys can do some more research afterwards. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the brief uh, review of what we're talking about and then I'm going to give you my thoughts on the matter and then. We're going to whip through about four or five stories here. Uh, the first one, for sure, is post-relativity the relativity space launch. Now, uh, as far as the day that I'm recording this, I haven't heard anything about the results. of What specifically happened with the second stage, it's also possible I've been busy and I missed it, but the the reality is still the same, that Relativity Space launched the first 3D printed rocket ever. 85% 3D printed. On the third try, it was able to launch the first stage. I was able to get through max Q, which is the point of maximum aerodynamic pressure, the the place in when you're launching a rocket where the rocket experiences the most force. Force. They have to pull back the throttle on the rocket to even get the rocket through it. And the 3D printed structure, the 3D printed engines, those worked great and was able to separate the second stage, and on the second stage there was an anomaly. Something about the igniting of the of the vacuum Aeon engine didn't happen right. Enough thrust was not produced, and you could see the the gimbling attitude control system trying to like adjust for it, uh, but it was just spitting out little bits of flame. Definitely not enough thrust for what you need to to get whatever it is you're going into orbit, but. Getting this far was a huge success for them. They're going to take this data from Terran 1 and they're going to apply it to Terran R, which is their fully reusable uh, or at least planned to be reusable platform uh, that they're really going to be, that the company is really going to be about. So this is kind of like when SpaceX had the Falcon 1 and now they're on the Falcon 9 after many, many years of iteration. Uh, World Series Space is on that journey and, the one advantage that Relativity Space has is the Stargate printer, uh, 3D printer. And if you're talking about the iteration game, SpaceX is really good at that. But the sheer physics of what Relativity Space's Stargate printer can do for the iterative process, they may be able to do it faster than SpaceX did. But, you know, if if we're going to critique it, I think the 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 definite critique here is that You know, it's great that we had a 3D-printed rocket try to launch to space. At the end of the day, you still need to be able to deliver payloads to orbit for customers to want to use you as a launch provider. So that's the journey that Relativity Space is now on. But also, aside from I think there's one rocket that made it to space on the first try, and that actually was a rocket that was built on technology that had already succeeded. So, You know, there is a long history of the first launch to space going terribly wrong. And that happened, uh, SpaceX had a terrible first launch. NASA had a a few terrible first launches. And the key is that you you find a way to survive enough launches to get enough good data. And for a first launch, Relativity did a pretty damn good job. Uh, Not in space but a lot farther than most. So looking forward to that project progress from them and uh, learning more about what actually happened and how they can uh, come out of this. So exciting stuff. I shared more about my thoughts in the last episode if you want to go listen to that. But that's Relativity Space. And uh, congrats to Jordan Noon, who we've had on the podcast, who is the CTO of Relativity Space and one of the co-founders with Tim Ellis, Uh, who i have yet to interview but would love to speak with Um, but those two those two human beings really hit the ground running in their 20s Uh, they were in school rocket program uh, had a big dream went after it and now they're in their 30s Uh, their next decade you know Tim is trying to get relativity space going and Jordan is building up in bed adventures and and uh, they're both affecting the aerospace industry in the way they can. So, pretty cool stuff. Uh, those are some trailblazers for sure. And best of luck to both of them and the Relativity Space team. I'm looking forward to seeing more from them. In orbital news, we have to take a throwback to a launch that we covered at the beginning of this year. Hakuto R. Hakuto R. From iSpace Incorporated, they are at mission milestone seven, which for them they were launching a lunar lander to the moon. And on the hundredth day in space, the Hakuto R mission one lunar lander is now safely orbiting the moon following a successful lunar orbit insertion maneuver. Now, this is a big step for this very young space company out of Japan and you know the they've they've really done a great job of getting this far this is where everything up to this point getting into to lunar orbit insertion that was difficult now they enter a whole new phase where we're at the moon and now they need to orbit a while figure out their next maneuver down to the surface and then land this thing on the surface of the moon. So it's going to get very exciting here, uh, and we're very much looking forward to what happens next, and their lunar landing is scheduled to take place in late April. Very busy April in space. Not only is there going to be a lunar robotic landing, but we're going to hear from NASA on April 4th, which we will be doing a live stream. We're going to cover the selection of astronauts for Artemis 2. And Starship has been uh, delayed into what seems like April now for the orbital test. So a lot going on, including JPL's open house. Uh, if you guys ever want to go to Jet Propulsion Lab, uh, they sell open house tickets. They go extremely fast. Uh, so they actually go on sale at the end at the beginning of April here so um, I would recommend going to Twitter and following JPL they will be the ones sending out when those tickets go on sale um, I'm gonna try to make it out but it there's a lot going on so <laughs> so we'll see what happens but uh, very busy April coming up a big congrats to Ispace this is a huge step in their whole proposal of of landing on the moon and yeah, wish them well. It's definitely hard. Not a lot have done it, We wish them well. All right, folks, there's a lot of talk about aliens and UFOs, UAPs, whether it's the Chinese spy balloon, the Tic Tac UFO, or any of the other UFOs that are out there and in the zeitgeist right now, The big question is, are you preparing for the alien abduction? Are you, as the human being, ready to be abducted by an alien? Are you representing humanity well? Are you a good specimen? Well, if you are worried about making sure that you represent all of humanity well in your first alien abduction... Manscaped has everything you need to be the perfect human specimen. The Beard Hedger is great. I've been using that here. The Beard Hedger Pro Kit has everything that you need. And honestly, I can feel like my beard is fuller. I feel like my skin is reacting better to my, uh, uh, to my beard hair because I'm able to manage it with the adjustable uh, blade, which has 20 different heights, And I'm able to basically, in the middle of the week, make a quick audible and get myself tip-top shape for that alien inspection. They also have just released the Weed Whacker 2.0, which is your ear and nose hair trimmer. Look, we don't want the aliens thinking that we've got a bunch of different hair. You know, going out of different places, you really gotta, you know, put on your best uh best foot forward here for this alien uh invasion that's coming right if they're gonna take a look you want to be peak specimen so manscaped is offering our listeners 20% off and free shipping by using the code word space you can get all the tools that you need to manscape keep it trim keep it clean not only for the earthlings but for any martians uh, Alpha Centaurians wherever in the universe they' come to have a little human experience a little time analyzing the apes here on earth make sure that you're representing humanity well prepare for your next alien abduction by using everything that manscaped has to offer let 's do what we can because look if uh, if we got put on if we got to put on a show. Let's let's make it happen. All right, folks. So 20% off, code word space, and uh, get free shipping uh, for anything in the store. Beard Hedger Pro, again, join me on the beard journey here uh, if you're interested. And uh, the Weed Whacker 2.0 for all those other places. Don't forget the Lawn Mower 4.0. That thing is a durable durable blade and helps get the job done. So 20% off, free shipping with code word space at manscape.com and do us all a favor and look good for your next alien abduction. And now back to the show. This story comes from an article that was shared with me by my friend Chris. Uh, it's from Space News. Sandra Irwin wrote this on March 20th, 2023. And the US Space Force budget uh includes 60 million over two years for tactically responsive space. So the budget proposed was $30 million in fiscal year 2024 and $30 million in 2025. And it's interesting to talk about because I think the more that space is in the zeitgeist and we see SpaceX launchers on the regular and Starlink gets more involved in our daily lives, the question comes up about the Space Force because you will inevitably hear Space Force command is basically running launch operations out of Florida. Granted, there's there's the Navy's involved. There's, there's a lot involved in the operations at the Cape, but it's the Space Force uh, operation that's handling a lot of this. And the budget for the Space Force that they submitted to con- uh, Congress is for $60 million over two years for a program known as Tactically Responsive Space. So, tactically responsive space is essentially an initiative to demonstrate, as they say here, I was going to riff there for a second, but I might as well just read the definition. <laughs> In an, uh, the tactically responsive space is an innovative, uh, is an initiative to demonstrate the capabilities of commercial launch vehicles to deploy small satellites on short notice. Uh, This type of service would be used during a conflict to replace a damaged satellite or augment existing constellations. And Military officials said having access to responsive launch would give the U.S. additional resilience in case adversaries, adversaries attempt to shoot down DOD or commercial satellites providing services to the military. Now, this is important because essentially... Uh, they're giving out these contracts to launch on 24 hours notice uh, to get ready for a launch. Uh, Firefly is one of the companies, Firefly Aerospace, that was given this contract. And they're specifically looking at smaller launch providers. This is also following kind of this new look at space from the military side of things of protecting the US's ability to launch things into space. And they've They've changed from this old school style of having, you know, a few monopolistic, big uh, companies that launch stuff for the military. Those contracts were uh, basically there was only one or two organizations that could launch things into space for the military uh, when we were in our uh, post-shuttle drought for launches. But now... They've changed it to try and invest in a lot of these smaller companies and to kind of spread out the risk of launching things into space over all these other launch providers. So um, it's a very interesting time as we see space become more of a, and more an, an involved domain. Obviously, we talked about it in episode 300. We've talked about Starlink in the fight in Ukraine and how those satellites, while satellites and telecommunications for, for top-secret satellites have been around for a while, and our interview with Kevin Kelly, the CEO of Arcfield, that company focuses on these solutions for these types of contracts and satellites that are going up there for these projects. So for something like this and for, for how much money is being injected into the defense department right now. Um, this Victus Nox goal, or Latin for conquer the night, is another way that, that the U.S. is trying to keep up its resiliency in space, uh, is by having the ability to replace anything that may get shot down. Now, I'm a little concerned that uh, <laughs> the assumption is that these things are going to get shot down soon uh, because of their their use in the battlefield. I obviously, as someone who wants us to travel space, do not want a Kessler syndrome or Kessler effect where we we start having our enemies or even ourselves start destroying satellites that cause an, uh, a, a tsunami of orbital debris that essentially makes it impossible for us to leave the planet at all because of how dangerous it'll be with all that debris. You would You would get hit by something on your way out. We don't want that. But... Uh, there is this balance of figuring out uh, how to how to have all of us work together in space, and we're definitely in strange times. So, um, if you thought that the space force was still a joke, or that you weren't paying attention to it, this article is a really good example that the space force is not only here to stay, but is playing an, uh, a, a larger and larger role uh, as. As the days continue here, and our world uh, is is more and more in conflict, so uh, very interesting times. Sixty million for the space force for tactically responsive space. We'll see where this goes. All right, we are at our final story for this month. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you've stayed this long, I wanted to share this very interesting article that I saw scroll across on LinkedIn. It's from livescience.com. Uh, and it's a really great example of everything that we're about here on the podcast. Uh, for for us and for space, I mean, if you don't know about my background, I, I it, it was not the smartest person in the room. I definitely did not know what I was doing when I got into STEM, but... I got my aerospace engineering degree after after uh, a few extra tries, and I work as an engineer today. And you know, we are our three D printing lab. Like it, to say that we're we're not in STEM or living and breathing STEM every day, uh, that would be a, that would be a lie. Uh, so, but getting here, it wasn't because I was the smartest person. It was because I found something that I was really passionate about, and. I found a solution or I I literally spend my most of my day solving problems with engineering somehow. So when I see a story like this where students are able to get involved in like a mission of space and think about this stuff, even elementary schoolers have brilliant ideas if you allow them to think about the problem. And it's one of the things that I think is not great for STEM. And it's something that we try to counteract with what we do here on the podcast, which is that, you know, space and science is it can be for everyone. Uh, if it's not, then it isn't. But if if you even have a small uh, amount of passion or, or, or like you would like to get involved in something in space and, and you're not an engineer or a physicist, there's room for you. And that's what I love about this article here in this story. So elementary schoolers... Proves the article uh, from Live Science. Elementary schoolers prove EpiPens become toxic in space, something NASA never knew. And so, it's interesting. This article kind of takes a jab at NASA that oh they didn't know, and it took elementary school kids to figure it out. But this is this is the the conundrum of space. For a very long time, we did not have all these abilities to send things to space. So there was always a game of figuring out how much money, how many missions, who gets cut, who stays. It was very hard to conduct research in space. So opportunities like this uh, that was run through, so this is uh, students from St. Brother Andrew Andre school program for gifted learners in Ottawa were studying the effects of cosmic radiation on epinephrine, the active ingredient found in EpiPens, an emergency treatment given during severe allergic reactions. NASA selected the students uh, experiment to be part of Cubes in Space, its global STEM program geared specifically to school age kids. So NASA funded this experiment, uh, and they chose their experiment. There's more opportunities for not only science to happen, but for these kids to have an involvement. You know, I... I only was able to get involved in something in space when I went for my aerospace engineering degree (laughs) and my project was on a CubeSat. I worked on a team uh, where we worked on a CubeSat, the structural uh, side of the CubeSat that was going to take solar weather readings. So that was definitely one of those moments that made me think I want to do this. It was one of those moments where I, I reached very high and i was able to have that opportunity to be on that team and for these kids i can only imagine what it does for them but then they also came up with something that's a really good piece of information to have especially as we start going towards a future where we're going to start sending people into space regularly and we open up the the diversity of humanity to the astronaut pool and the more and more things that we can know about how people are going to react on planet versus off planet is really, really important. So this epinephrine discovery is uh, incredible. So for the program, the 9 to 12-year-old uh, students design an experiment in which epinephrine samples were placed into tiny cubes and sent to the edge of space via either a high-altitude balloon or a rocket. And once back on Earth... Researchers from the John L. Holmes Mass Spectrometry facility at the University of Ottawa tested the samples and found that only 87% contained pure epinephrine, while the other 13% had been transformed into extremely poisonous benzoic acid derivatives, according to a University of Ottawa statement. So, you know, everyone got really crazy about the Chinese uh, balloon that came over the United States. Um, but, like, balloons are an extremely cheap uh, way of getting things to the edge of space. And it's done on the regular for people that are taking uh, weather readings. There are multiple balloons released for rocket launches to check the wind shear as they're going up. It's a very tried and true way of getting to space. So, If you don't have a lot of rockets out there and you're just trying to get, you know, uh, make it so that you can fund enough projects for enough kids to do things, setting it up in a balloon is a really, really good way of doing that. So that's what they did here. And so the cosmic radiation has extremely high energy particles. And the atmosphere that we have is really what is our blanket against that kind of radiation. But on the ISS, if we're going into deep space, these are the areas where we need to really pay attention to cosmic radiation because high-energetic particles going through you is not a good thing. And the cosmic radiation shows to have a clear impact on chemicals like epinephrine, uh, who is said, it's said by, it's quoted by Paul Mayer, a professor in the Department of Chemistry and Biomolecular Sciences at the University of Iowa, The after samples showed signs that the epinephrine reacted and decomposed, and in fact, no epinephrine was found in the after EpiPen solution samples. This result raises questions about the efficacy of an EpiPen for outer space applications, and these questions are now starting to be addressed by the kids in the PGL program. So, this is awesome. I think it's so cool that these kids were able to get involved in something that's a really important answer to have again before we send somebody up there because if you think about what would have been brought for someone that needs an EpiPen, the EpiPen would have been probably in the top five things that they need to bring with them and now that that's not an option or that perhaps shielding needs to be provided to these EpiPens when they go up there so that they they are not exposed to cosmic radiation, we can now take that step and not find out at, you know, if someone's taking an epipen, that's a life or death situation. You can't be giving them something that's toxic. So it's an extremely important study for all of us, uh, and the results are really interesting. And now it makes you think: like, how many other things do we take for granted that if you throw some cosmic radiation in the mix, it it does the exact opposite? So I thought this was an amazing story. It's another reason why open access to space and unhindered access to space for answering questions and posing hypotheses and challenging what was already known is really, really important. And even elementary schoolers can provide really in-depth and important solutions and research, just like the fact that EpiPens become toxic in space when they're exposed to cosmic radiation a really fun week uh, f- fun month March has been filled with a lot of stuff in space April is going to be insane our first episode of April we're gonna be ta- we're gonna be doing the live stream for the astronauts are going to be chosen for Artemis 2 we're super excited about that we're gonna hear basically who the first woman is going to be that's going to go to the moon first this time to orbit an Artemis 2 we're probably going to see, uh, if I had to guess, a person of color on this mission as well. As Artemis three is the first woman and first person of color to step foot on the moon, uh, that that crew will be more than two people. Um, but there is a, a really interesting candidate pool, and I'm interested interested to see who these astronauts are going to be. I mean, this is this is our Apollo program of of this era, so this is the first announcement that really starts to make this real. I mean, we're, we're picking the first humans for Artemis. This is a, this is a big moment and it's going to lead the way for Ar- to Artemis three, where we're going to land the first woman and the first person of color on the moon and start the return and the beginning of the Artemis generation so that we can build the infrastructure that's needed for us to live in space full time around the moon and build the gateway to mars so that we can develop and get ourselves there asap so thank you for joining us for today in space we thank you very much as always for watching us and listening make sure to follow us on instagram today in space pod today in space pod on twitter and today in space on tiktok and our facebook page at today in space podcast like subscribe Give us a five-star rating if you guys love what we're doing. Share with friends. All of those things help us get promoted. Uh, The the algorithm likes that kind of stuff, but you got to tell them that you like it. I know there's a lot of you that don't like to like stuff or share stuff. You don't want to mess with your algorithm, but that is the best way to support us. And then, of course, we have our sponsor, Manscaped. We can get 20% off anything in the store. Use code word SPACE. Of course, we're using the Beard Hedger Pro Kit and there's a lot more coming out there. So 20% off uh, for 20% off and free shipping at Manscape.com, And then, of course, our 3D printing lab, AG3D Printing, where you can get a free quote on your next project at our website, ag3d-printing.com. You can also see a customer review from our friends over at Snapcaller and see what we did for them to help bring their idea into reality so they could start their business uh, there's also our Etsy shop, easy3dprinting.etsy.com, where you can uh, purchase one of our gifts on there. Uh, we've got a lot of different stuff on there, especially if you're a, a board gamer or a video gamer. We've got a lot of stuff uh, that, that can help you out there and some fun stuff for around the office and your desk. And, yeah, that's that's basically it, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week. And we'll see you next month for another episode of Today in Space. Be well, spread love, and spread science.